We are continuing our sermon series in Jonah. Uh, this will be our third one in the series. Uh, I, I said we we were uh, not going to pull the Ephesians and you know slow down and take this really slow verse by verse. Um, so we're we're in the last verse of chapter one, and we're going to do our best to get through uh, all of chapter two this morning. So we're going to start in chapter one, verse seventeen, and then we'll work our way through chapter two. Uh, verse 10, uh, at least that's the goal this morning. I was back and forth on whether to completely slow down and just do one verse this morning. I didn't want to make it uh, and wonder if we would ever get out of Jonah at that pace. Um, and so as I continue to pray about it, we're going to tackle these two. We're going to tackle the last verse of chapter 1 and then uh, dive into Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. Uh, it's important if it's the first time here, you don't know the story of Jonah, to kind of figure out where we are in the story. So I'll give just a real quick, uh, real quick recap. Uh, first sermon uh, was titled "Nope," uh, was when God called no- Jonah to go to Nineveh, and uh, Jonah, with his actions and attitudes, just blatantly said, "No, God, I'm not going." And he turned and he ran the other direction. Uh, in the midst of running the other direction, he bought a ticket on the ship. He was going to. Uh, a town that was, I mean, the absolute ends of civilization at the time uh, because he did not want to go to Nineveh because he did not like the people in Nineveh. They were, he, he was a, a proud Jew, an Israelite, that could not stand the Assyrians. They were their main enemy. Nineveh was one of the largest, the biggest town for Assyria at the time, would later become its capital. Uh, Jonah wanted those people to get what they deserved, and we talked a lot about that. And how we sometimes look at people and rather judge them. But we find that God would rather extend mercy than judge people. Than extend judgment on the people in Nineveh. Jonah wasn't having it though. He ran the other direction. And he, got, he, got, he gets in the ship uh, that happens to be going to the town he was thinking about going to. Everything's working out so far. You'll notice that there's a consistent, uh, it says he went down uh, to Joppa to buy a ship. And then he went down in the ship. And then he ends up going down in the ocean when he... When, when he decided to disobey God and not go where God asked him to go, everything from that point was down in this chapter. Uh, but as he's going down, he gets on the ship, he goes down, he takes a nap, honestly. He goes down into the cabin of the ship, and uh, the Bible says that God throws a storm. He throws a storm is essentially what the Hebrew word says uh, to get Jonah's attention. Remember last week uh, we said get up was the title of the sermon because we looked at this pagan sailor as they were struggling. The storm was raging. Uh, they were thought they were going to lose the ship. Jonah was still sleeping and the, the, the captain goes down and he gets to Jonah. And as Jonah's coming out of this fog of sleep after he heard God speak to him originally, he said, get up, Jonah, and go to Nineveh and call on those people. And he's coming out of this foggy sleep and storm raising and this captain, this pagan, this guy who doesn't even believe in the same God that Jonah serves is speaking the same word that God had spoke to him in the beginning. He's hearing the word get up again. And God is using these circumstances, nature, people, circumstances in Jonah's life to bring him back, to give him another chance, to show him love, to show him mercy. Jonah gets up. At this point, he probably could have said, all right, God, you got my attention. I'll go to Nineveh. But instead, he tells them, just throw me in the water. Throw me, just throw me overboard. They're asking him, what can we do to stop this raging storm that's all around us? 
What can we do to, to, to stop this? this, this uh, they knew it was so bad it had to be supernatural. And when John says, throw me in. And even these pagan, we talked about this last week. These people who weren't even Christians, if you will, they, weren't even, they didn't even serve the same God. They cared so much about Jonah, they didn't want to throw him in. They weren't that selfish that, oh, I can save myself just by throwing this one guy. It says they began to row harder to try to rescue Jonah. But it came to the point they realized they couldn't, and they reluctantly threw him into the water. It says after he did that, um, we're almost up, caught up to where we are. In verse 16, well, verse 15, it says, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And before, they were yelling to any god, they were every god they could think of that they'd ever heard of, that they'd learned about at any port they'd ever been in. Uh, but here, this is, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and in the Hebrew, that was Yahweh. That was the God of Israel. This was the true God. And in all of this, they came to knowledge of the true God. It says, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jonah... In trying to not, would have been much like what Jonah thought of the Assyrians, that he really wouldn't have cared much for them. He was, they weren't good enough. They weren't of the same stock he was. They weren't Israelites. Yet in trying to disobey God, while God is trying to bring Jonah back into place, he's going ahead and he's reaching out and he's changing people's lives in the process. We learned last week that we will never be able to tell whether the storm, the difficulty in our life is our own causing or someone else's. And the Bible doesn't really teach us to trust that God on the wrong boat. This was Jonah's storm. But we find that every storm and difficulty in our life, God has great purpose for it and will use it for our good. That's what the Bible teaches and it proves it here in this story. So let's read, uh, let's read chapter 1 verse 17 and, um, and then we will read through chapter 2 and then we'll go back and spend some time on this verse and then some time on chapter 2. Um, the breakdown of this section, in verse 17, the Lord saves Jonah. In verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2, the Lord hears Jonah's prayer and cry of repentance. Then in verse 2, the Lord gives Jonah new life. This is Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You see, I have appointed, highlighted in red, that's the title of this morning's sermon. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is the prayer that Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I love the way that's written, all your waves. God was in complete control. All of his waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. We find that word again, down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And, you know, just this beautiful scene and imagery for a Sunday morning. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So let's spend some time here just for a moment. And we see in this moment uh, a moment that we might be able to identify with, uh, uh, just a moment of failure. I mean, just complete and utter failure. For Jonah. He has totally let God down. He has totally left and gone the wrong direction. He, he has totally did the exact opposite of what God had asked him to do. He is in the midst of the greatest failure he's known in his life. And, but God knew that as long as he just let, uh, let, let Jonah move on in the way that he was going, he would never realize this flaw in his character that he had this self-righteousness, that, that he hadn't really wrapped his arms around the mercy and grace and the, the true love that God can give. And we'll find that in our failures, God can show up in a mighty way and use them in a mighty way in our life. You see, Abraham failed. He got impatient, waiting on God. God had promised him a son. He didn't think he could do it with his wife's, so he found another way. Yet God still used Abraham. Joseph, who thought he was going to be just his father's greatest, and he, he, and he just had, he knew in his heart he had a vision for what God wanted for him, had to find himself in a pit and sold into slavery and then in prison. And in circumstances, you know, we, we know the whole story. So we're like, big deal, he's in prison. He's going to end up being number two. And he, he didn't know he was going to be a leader at the time. He didn't know what God had for him. Yet he was in the midst of failure. Moses got impatient. Tried to take it upon his own self to save his people and stand up against Egypt. And we found him wandering in the desert for 40 years of failure. As Timothy Keller uh, says, sometimes we don't realize Jesus is all we need until he's all we have. Sometimes God's got to get us there. Sometimes God has got to take us down, 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 down further in our life. And he's going to use these storms because there's something, there's, a, there, there's something in us that there's no other way we can learn. You know, there's some things in life you can't learn until you experience it. I remember people telling me that when I was younger, and I was like, well, ah, you just, I can, just tell me, and I can, I can understand it. But there are some things that you just can't understand to experience it. I think being a parent is probably one of those. Any parents agree about that? 
You can't, you can think you know what it is, you can think you know what it means, but until you're a parent, you can't describe the love that you have for a child. I think, uh, you know, finances, uh, uh, this was, you know, something for us, you know, people can tell you don't get credit cards, but <laughs> right, you, you really learn it when you get one. Why, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have. You, and and you, they, you say, well, I'll pay it off every month. And then six months later, you've not done it. And you're like, I, I understand why now. I've been told this. There's some things you can't learn without experience. There are some things in your life God cannot teach you from the words that are going to come out of a preacher or somebody else in your life that are going to come into you. Or, or even just from a scripture. But through experience, the way he's taking Jonah right here. To a place, to a point, in circumstances in his life. He will teach you and he will show you. And you realize he's been there. You see, Jonah was running this whole time and God was with him every step of the way. You think you've been running from God and, and yet he's been throwing storms at you. He's been throwing people into your life. He's been throwing circumstances at you that are just trying to, just like the captain that ran down in, under, the, under the deck and said, Jonah, get up. He's been speaking to you. And he's been speaking to me. In our circumstances, there's some things you can't learn unless you experience it. The New Testament says we must lose our life in order to find it. God takes Jonah to this critical point in the midst of his failure. There's some things that happen here. It's amazing. Uh, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I just love that word appointed, so I titled it titled the sermon this morning. If you go back to the Hebrew word, there's different translations. I think uh, the King James Version says prepared a great fish. Uh, I think NIV says uh, provided a great fish. Uh, but for some reason, this, this word appointed, I think, just spoke to me when I went back to the Hebrew word uh, and, and that, that God in all his sovereignty has appointed things in your life with great purpose. Doesn't that feel different than thinking this is just total chaos? Man, everything's just, just cut loose. Things are so crazy. Things are so bad. There's no way any of this can be under control. But there's something knowing that, that, that God is in control. And he appointed this great fish to swallow up Jonah. I shared last week, I always thought when I was a kid, that was just punishment in and of itself, you know, um, to... to that, I thought that was the mean part of this story. I thought God was punishing Jonah by, by letting this fish swallow him. But it was actually a great demonstration of mercy. That Jonah had hit the water. If you can imagine in that moment that we're just coming out of, they've just thrown him in the water. It calms down and he just begins sinking. I want you to try to imagine and be there uh, just for a minute. And I want to just take three thoughts of why did God use this fish great fish this well for Jonah the first thing is if you can imagine um, If you think you've always, if you think you're going to have another chance, if you think you still have time, it changes the way you make decisions. Okay? Here's what God was doing to Jonah. He was giving him the sense 
of being in Hades is what the Bible calls it. Sheol, hell, death, in and of itself. That's what he said if you go over and read his prayer. It says, for deep in the realm of the dead, I'll call for help. He was given Jonah a sense. He was given Jonah a sense. What is death? You know, the Bible teaches that, that our consciousness, our soul, it's going to live forever. It will be eternally, it will eternally know, have a consciousness. Death is eternal separation from God. Okay, you're going to have a physical death, this, this body's going to die. But you got two options after this physical body goes away. Either we are going to eternally be with God or we're going to eternally be separated from God. And, and, and here's what God is doing for Jonah. He's given him just a little peek in. Because I want you to imagine Jonah hits the water, he's sinking. You think, and again, we know the rest of the story. Pretend like you don't know the rest of the story. He's sinking in the water. If you read through his prayer, it says seaweed was wrapped around him. He says he's sinking down to the roots. At some point, he's probably starting to lose consciousness. You think he knew what was going on when, when something came around him, when, when God had pointed at the right time and the right place was this great fish that just swam up and swallowed Jonah? Do you think he knew what was going on? No idea. He, he doesn't know where he's at. He can't see. It's dark. Smells great, I'm sure. You know, I mean, it's just like he's got the grandma's house. He doesn't know what's going on. So in his mind, I think God has given him. I want you to know what it would feel like if no longer you could say maybe tomorrow. Can you get a sense of that? I think that's probably the most painful thing about hell is that you know it's too late. Is that you know it's too late. You can't, you can't say maybe tomorrow. Jonah's getting a sense of what it means to be eternally separated from God. I think he may have thought maybe that's where he was. I mean, the way he, the way he describes it. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. You hurled me into the depths. I love it the way he says that. God wasn't the one that picked him up. But it's the way we speak about that in our life, don't we? We say, God, you brought me into this situation. And Jonah's saying the same thing. Those sailors threw me in, but God, I can see you were in the middle of this. I've been banished from your sight. The gulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. I sank down to the roots of the mountain. But he says, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. I think he was giving Jonah a sense of what it was going to feel like at some point for it to be too late. Second thing he was doing was demonstrating his amazing love and mercy. See, the very thing that Jonah did not want Nineveh to get, didn't want the Assyrians to get, he's now getting. He didn't want them to get mercy. And yet, in God's path to pursue and bring mercy to those people and give them a hope, because of the way Jonah, he doesn't care. Right now, he doesn't care. He's now experiencing what he's doomed those people to because he wouldn't go. 
God says, oh, you don't care enough about those people? About where they're going to, let me show you where they're going to end up, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to be like. You're going to experience it just for a little bit here. But then he demonstrates his amazing love and mercy. Uh, sometimes the most painful thing in our life is mercy disguised. We would all, and probably even those sailors say, when Jonah hit that water, he's probably getting what he deserves. He's ran, he's disobeyed, he's done all these bad things. You know, you reap what you sow, Jonah. But we find in this the third thing, in this fish, a foreshadowing of Christ's death. And resurrection. Don't you find it peculiar that he was in there three days and three nights? Matthew 12, verse 39, when uh, the Pharisees were coming to Jesus and they were saying, Jesus, give us a sign. We, uh, we kind of, we, uh, we're like kind of wondering if you are who you say you are, but will you just give us a sign so we'll know for sure? He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Luke 11, Jesus put it this way as the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. Oh, I think I got these up here. Yeah, I do have them up here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now something greater than Jonah is here. So what's he saying? They're coming to him and they're saying, we want a sign. We want to see you. Show us. Do some miracle. Show us some sign to show us who you really are. He says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah when I go in the grave for three days and I'm resurrected. That'll be a sign that lets you know. And he's so frustrated because he's already done so, so many miracles, right? He's, he, his, his earthly ministry is happening. It's obvious he is who he says he is. And he says even, because Jonah ends up going to Nineveh, spoiler alert, uh, chapter 3, ends up going to Nineveh and they repent at his preaching. Uh, and and so, that's what Jesus is saying. He said, you know what, that little Jonah guy that, you know, I mean, he ran from me. I had to chase him with a fish. I mean, I had to literally put him in the belly of a fish in the bottom of the sea before he'd even say, okay, I'll go. That guy that I vomited out on the beach, Nineveh repented to when he brought the word. God in the flesh is standing before you. And you won't even hear me. And so he's telling us the, the same thing. Some of us in our life, Maybe we're questioning God and who he is and is there really God. Maybe we're, you know, some people, before they get saved, they say, God, I just want you to show me. Do some big thing. Show me some sign. And Jesus is telling you through this verse, there's 
his resurrection is sign enough. There, there's no greater sign uh, than this, this uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was accounted for by multiple uh, eyewitnesses. I don't know uh, if anybody's in that world of like doubting whether that is true or real. You need to go read or watch the case for Christ. We did as a Bible study probably a couple years ago. Uh, this journalist who is an atheist says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to study this. You know, I, I, and I'm going to take it like I would a journalism story. And he found more preponderance of evidence to support these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, eyewitness encounters of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, uh, that, that he became a Christian in the process when he was going to prove Christianity false. So read that book, Case for Christ. But we find here Jesus saying, there's no greater sign than what you're going to see in my resurrection. Here, 750 years earlier in Jonah, God is already beginning to foreshadow. Jonah's going to find mercy and grace here, but he's showing the mercy and grace that's going to come forward for the entire world. He's already working his plan. Let's look at the story. I mean, the prayer he prays here. Um, I have no why. I have nothing up here. Tell me what time it is. Oh yeah, I do. I got a watch. You're all saved. Eleven forty-six. This prayer is important, though. I want us to take just a minute and look at it. You see, when all the other sailors were screaming out, they were praying to any god. Jonah was completely mute. He wouldn't even talk to Yahweh. Not until he threw him in the water. We find him referencing back while he was in the water. At some point, he was crying out to God. He was realizing he was coming to the end. And I can promise you, I don't know, some of you may have had near-death experiences. Uh, you know, I've, I've had times, you ever been driving on the road, and you just glance off and you look up and you realize, man, I was this close. I was this close to this day being totally different. Either crossing the line or on the on the shoulder, or maybe you've been in an accident. Maybe you've been sick. Maybe you've been to the point of. Uh, let me tell you, when you get to that point, like Jonah was here, uh, perspective completely changes when you can't say anymore. Maybe tomorrow. But I love this. He says, "In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and You listened." To my cry. So as we as we move in to look at this, there's uh, there's there's two things. God takes him to the bottom, but that's not enough to save him. It's not enough to save him to give him perspective. It requires a heart of repentance and a prayer to bring him back. Like just you can't just get to the end of your rope. At the end of your rope, it needs to turn your heart to God. You got to turn it to Him. Put it all on Him. In my distress, I called the Lord, and He answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. We sang the song here just a minute ago, uh, kind of a, a, a new version of Amazing Grace. I've already given you three points. I'm about to give you three more. I told you it might be two sermons in one. These are going to be short, though. 
There's three tenets to grace. There's three things about grace you've got to believe. In your faith, you've got to believe these three things. Um, and this is the, the, the Romans roadmap, if you will. One, uh, you've got to realize uh, that you've sinned. You've got to realize that we have sinned, that you've done wrong, that there, are, there is right and wrong, and that you're not perfect. I've got to realize that I'm not perfect. If we want to find salvation, if we want to accept God's gift of grace, the first step is say, yep, I'm part of that Adam sin nature. I've not been perfect. But the world will teach us otherwise. The world will teach us that, you know, whatever is right and wrong is up to you. You know, it's to each person their own, your own, uh, you know, set your own compass of what you think is right and wrong. But first you've got to realize what the Bible says, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God is true. We find Jonah saying that here. We also find the second truth, precursor to grace, is that we are powerless to fix it. This is what Jonah is realizing here. This is why it took Jonah getting in the depths of the sea. And let me tell you, sin will get you there. It will get seaweed wrapped around your head. It'll get you to a point, especially if you think you're able to fix it yourself. You know, if you think you can just be morally good enough, if you think you can do enough right, if you think you can go to church enough times, if you think you can give enough. You know, that, uh, that's the foundational assumption of every other religion is that the goal is to make you better and if you got to be good enough. The foundational assumption of Christianity is none of us are good enough. And we're powerless to fix it. I want you to look at this. This is beautiful. It's kind of hidden in there, and you all missed it earlier when I read through it. It says, I said I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The third tenet of, uh, of, of God's grace um, is that it is is costly the price he paid is costly i said i've been banished from your sight yeah well i'll look again towards your holy temple when i first read that i was like okay well, he's looking back at the temple of god but this time in the old testament you got to remember where they are and what's happening What's in the holy temple? And the holy temple is the mercy seat. And the holy temple is the Ark of the Covenant. They, in the Ark of the Covenant, they had the, the Ten Commandments, the law that built on the foundation that the Israelites were intended to practice. If you remember, they would have to, uh, uh, in a timely manner, bring sacrifices because they couldn't live it up to themselves. They had to bring sacrifices and the blood would be shed in that holy temple. You see, in this moment, Jonah is beginning to look back. He's looking at that, those Ten Commandments. He's realized he's failed them. He realizes he's sinking deeper, and there's nothing he can do about it. And he has one place to look. And it's for God's mercy. This the same is true for each and every one of us. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath 
barred me in forever? Does this, if, if you start to think of this in our current context, do you see how this can align when we're burdened down with sin and we have no hope? But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away, when, when I had nothing but sin in my life, uh, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That in the Hebrew is this essence of the grace of God. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I want us to pause there as we get ready uh, to close. And sometimes when we get in the middle of the storm and we'll, we can, even as Christians, we'll get to the point to where we see God is there and that he's in it. But we forget the final step that really changes everything. And that is the prayer of repentance. That is to realize that it is time to go. To, unless we become like Jonah and we realize we are sinking to the roots of the mountains, that the seaweed is wrapped around us, that our life is ebbing away. See, when he looked up at God's holy temple, he, he acknowledged the law of the Ten Commandments. And he realized that he was powerless and that it took a costly sacrifice. This is us looking here, right? This is us looking at the cross. You did that for me. Your grace is there. It's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 13, 3 says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Acts 3.19 says, Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's saying this prayer, he's in this well. I mean, can you just imagine what it smelled like? It's pitch black. It has to be rotting fish. I mean, what else is in the belly of a fish? We've read the end of the story. We know he's going to get vomited up in a few days. So we're like, what well, big deal? Jones in the fish. He's getting out in a few days. He didn't know that. He didn't know he was getting out. He probably really thought he was at the end. He thought that was it for him. See, God will appoint things in our life, circumstances, storms, people, 
trials, tribulations, financial difficulties, job changes, family disruptions. He'll place all these things in our life, and he'll allow them to come into our life, and he'll use them for our good. But I want you to look at the most thing, most important thing. He appointed this storm, but look at Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just like God appointed this fish in Jonah's life, he's appointed Jesus. He has appointed Jesus to remind us to give us hope when our life is ebbing away. He's appointed Jesus to be the greatest demonstration of mercy and grace the world has ever known. As we get ready for a song uh, this morning. We close out our service. Jonah gets this new life we find in verse 10, you know, through being vomited back up. But God had appointed uh, this fish in his life to give him a sense of what it would be like to, to not be able to say maybe tomorrow. To give him the sense and remind him of you know what? Jonah, the very thing you didn't want the Ninevites to get, I'm giving to you, you God. You're getting the same mercy. The thing that made you so mad that you thought I might give to the Assyrians, the people you can't stand, I'm giving to you. And I want to point you forward centuries in time to the one I'm going to send for each and every person that ever walks on this earth. As you stand this morning, this is the story. This song is the story of Jesus. I know you're probably thinking, wow, I came to hear Jonah. How did we get to Jesus? Well, Jesus is in the whole book. Jesus is in the whole book. This is not by accident. This is the way God works. Different writers, different languages, different people. And it all comes together to share one powerful story of hope for each and every person. Now this morning, you may feel like your life is ebbing away. You've never made that decision. You've never made that commitment of faith. You've never prayed. You've never repented. All you got to do is look. Look to the cross. It says repent and you'll be converted.